to Mechanical Freak. We're on the boat. For real. For real. It's me, Greg. And Cassie is here on the boat. Hi. Cassidy. (laughs) Hi. uh, I have been trying to get an episode out of you on this subject for, I don't know, months. Well into last year. Uh, I mean, you wanted me to talk about it when I was literally working on the campaign. That's true. Yeah. 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 You're giving it away. This is about the Bernie campaign. But uh, by the same token, you've been begging me to come and check out the boat. I have. This is your first time on the boat. You know, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think if we just want to like, you know, jump to it, uh, I tried to propose to Greg and he said no. <laughs> so <laughs> I tried to make a marriage pact. That's how that's how good boat life is. <laughs> I tried folks. to make a marriage pact for when he's 50 and I'm 42 and he said no. Um, but yeah, too many marriage packs lined up already. All right. <laughs> the, the boat has been a lot of fun. I've been um, spoiled, wined and dined. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's been a great that's time. That's what it took mm-hmm. to... Uh, convince Cassidy to uh, re-experience her trauma. Yeah, I'm really like nervous to talk about it, but also just like I felt like it was the right time. You know, um, it's gonna be a year since Bernie dropped out this week, which is just like super depressing. But also, I feel like my NDA just like doesn't count anymore. So, like, let's <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah, you know? seriously. Yeah. So you know, if you heard the main episode this week uh, with the gang. Uh, you recall that Cassidy talked about the new union local she's president of? Yes. So as of April 1st, IUPAT 116, the political campaign nonprofit and allied workers union for Washington, Oregon, Utah, Idaho, and Alaska. Um, And yeah, I mean, like, it's because of shit that I went down on or shit that went down on Bernie's campaign um, and stuff that a lot of campaign workers have gone through on presidential races, local races, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so if so, if you haven't tuned into that, go check that out, obviously. But this is yeah, this is sort of the origin story yeah. of Cassidy uh campaigners union president yeah. organizer and just getting involved like this was my first time ever being in a union getting involved in labor organizing i mean organizing a strike like yeah big yeah. stuff so those are some spoilers <laughs> we're gonna get right Spoiler into it alert. so yeah let's uh tr- you know we've talked about the bernie campaign on this podcast uh if you may recall that uh both munya and i went to the Hot Couch Iowa, Hotel. Iowa. Yeah. Iowa. For the Iowa caucus mm-hmm. that launched off the, you know, full-on uh, primary season in the uh, 2020 Nightmare Primary. Uh, we went there for Bernie, and we and we stayed with Cassidy. Yes, you uh, did. Or, no, I stayed with Cassidy. I guess Munya did Munya stayed um, with me um, in a... Because we had to have three different Airbnbs, actually. Right, right, right. So he right. stayed with me in the third one okay. a little bit. Okay. But I think he stayed right. with you, you had to at your out. friend's place um, a little. Yeah. yeah. No, we hung out, but yeah. he, uh, no one ever made it up to Ames where we were staying. I can't. I don't blame them. <laughs> um, for the last few yeah. days. But okay. I stayed with you on, at the Hot Couch House. Yeah. Um, you and Melissa and a bunch of other people. And, you know, we talked about that on an episode way back, you know, soon after that. Um I was uh, not on that episode. No, though. because yeah. because while you while we were there in Iowa, I tried yeah. to get you to 
come on the show to talk mm-hmm. about it, and you were like, uh, NDA, whatever. And then after, you were no, like... No, so let me say something really <laughs> quick, though, about this. So I was all... Because when Greg and I were texting back and forth about him coming, I said, are you going to bring podcast equipment? And, like, that wasn't even for me to, like, talk shit about the campaign at that point, necessarily. Like, we weren't that deep in that sort of stuff yet. Um, but he was like, oh, yeah, of course I'm bringing campaign... Or campaign. Of course I'm bringing podcast stuff. So, like, I had the intention of going on the podcast while I was there or while he was there. Um, but then like literally the day that Greg came in, uh, in like the Bernie 2020, uh, campaign worker, like Slack, the, our boss drops specifically. He was like, Hey, just letting people know, like, you know, you can't talk to the media without prior approval. Like, obviously we already knew that. But then he said specifically, that includes if you have friends who are podcasters who might be volunteering <laughs> for the campaign. <laughs> and so, like, even if it, I don't know if it was targeted like at us or not, I don't know how uh, they would ever know. But I was just I'm like, say no, I was like, absolutely but, not. I mean, that was like, obviously <laughs> like there were probably at 1000 podcasters in right? Iowa <laughs> yeah. at that time. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. thousands of people, thousands of, bar- you know, comrades from around the country had descended on Iowa. It was, and yeah, it was fully one uh, fifth of them were podcasters. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, the online left was in town. Uh, so that that's a little bit of the setup. Like, so take us back now to, I mean, where does this story start for you? Yeah, I mean, so like, first off, I think just a good thing is to give a little bit of context that like, unfortunately, I was not given before I got on the campaign. Um, and it just like, I think it explains a lot of what happened when uh, all the things that happened to us. So basically, you know, the union was started in May of 2019. um, And by like June, July 2019 was when they started having their first dispute. Um, There wasn't like a lot of staff at that point, but I think there was like 30 to 40 um, field staffers in Iowa. Um, And basically what was going on is they were getting paid uh, the FOs, field organizers, were getting paid $36,000, um, but they were working 60-plus hour weeks. Mm. Um, and so, like, you know, Bernie's whole thing is $15 an hour, right? So, yeah. like, that was a pretty – the workers thought that was a pretty standard ask, was like, okay, like, $15 an hour, like – can we have that please? Cause they were making around like 13 an hour and sometimes even less depending on how many hours they were working. Right. Um, and so, yeah, like they did the whole process. They drafted a letter through the union and did all this stuff and like went through the committee process and, um, the campaign manager, Faz Shakir, he basically told staff to fuck off like in other words. Um, and so somebody leaked it. Uh. Yeah. And so, it was leaked to the press like that there was a huge and it wasn't even huge, but like that there was a, a dispute on the campaign about, you know, Bernie, he's not paying $15 an hour, blah, blah, blah. And of course, like as soon as it was leaked, like within days, they did something about it and they fixed yeah. it. Um, and so, you know, it was one of those things where like it was a bummer that it had to happen. But in my opinion, it made it clear that like, um, the like management was just not down to bargain with workers. We were basically told like, look, your benefits, your pay that you're getting is better than all the other races. So why should you complain? Maybe that's a bit of context even to start out, which is we talked about on the, the main episode Mm -hmm. this week about all the sort of structural reasons that, um, 
working on campaigns sucks and is always basically exploitive, and that that is reinforced in the way it is in a lot of industries by the fact that, you know, a lot of people want to be doing what they're doing, working on campaigns, either because they're little, like, rat sniveling strivers who, like, want to get into (laughs) politics or because they really believe in something. Absolutely. And this, the Bernie campaign... You know, only more so, right? Only it, this it was is like, like that times a hundred. Because I mean, think about how passionate people are about Bernie Sanders and about what he stands for. And so, on any campaign, you know, there's going to be people like you said, one of one of two, either they're careerists or so like they'll do whatever the fuck they need to do. Um, Thanks. Or they are just so passionate that they will do whatever the fuck they are told to do. Yeah. And that is really what happened. Exactly. And that's what really happened on the Bernie campaign. And so after all of this was leaked, um, two things happened publicly. So first off, um, the Sam- the Sanders campaign uh, issued a statement uh, about its union contract. We know our campaign offers wages and benefits competitive with other campaigns, as is shown by the latest fundraising reports. Every member of the campaign from candidate on down joined this movement in order to defeat Donald Trump and transform America. Bernie Sanders is the most pro-worker and pro-labor candidate running for president. We have a tremendous staff who are working hard. Bernie and I both believe strongly in the sanctity of collective bargaining process process and we will not deviate from our commitment to it um and then yeah yeah, so this is like this is this is a campaign message this doesn't mean anything to you the worker really i mean maybe they think it does but they're really talking to you like they're talking to voters right Well, and again it's it's the pr thing is that they use the they like they are using the union as a pr spin instead of the reality that like we needed this union because we were getting fucked over um and because well they're saying they're saying like listen we're do we're Either compete. They're saying literally even saying competitive. No, and that's the thing about Faz is it was always like business speak, and it was so disgusting. Uh, So they're saying like we pay marginally more, and our 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 benefits are marginally better than your average campaign. And uh, look, they they're even unionized, and it's like the reality is, as we discussed. Campaigns are yeah. routinely, like, universally abusive. And competitive doesn't equal good. No, no. <laughs> when you're comparing to, like, like here's my slightly better shit sandwich. Yeah. You know, like, I put mustard on this but for you. The, and, but that that's pretty yeah. shocking, right? Yeah. And so, but so they really are just saying what every campaign says, which is like, well, this is like, this is, you know, we're doing this because it's important. Yeah. You know, but, we're doing this because yeah. it's important. But then there's this other element that maybe they didn't um, take into account. With the Bernie campaign, yes, on the one hand, so many people are so passionate. So many people are just living in such misery and given some, like, little bit of hope by the ideas of the Bernie Sanders campaign. But on the other hand, they basically put a call out to all the communists in the country yeah. to come try and yeah. get someone elected president. And then what there's, do you think's going to happen? And then, like- uh, they're, you know, mm-hmm. going to try and like wave $13 an hour in front of them. It's and ridiculous. like, and look, we vol- we like, you know, voluntarily recognized your union and, um, and they think they're not going to get any shit when the candidates out there talking about like $15 minimum wage yep. isn't paying it. And the, you know, I, what I'm saying is don't be surprised when you yeah. like put up the fucking like. Sickle, sickle and hammer signal on the right. clouds to like come you know you're going to get some fucking labor action yeah. happening yep and so that's what happened right exactly no i mean look they they hired several um socialists from seattle and uh when we got there and realized what was going on you know we were like fuck this um but the other thing i want to 
note that just like really set the stage um, for everything that happened later on is so that statement was from, yeah, the campaign manager, Faz. But in addition to that, Bernie also said to the Des Moines Register after the leak, he said, it does bother me that people are going outside of the process and going to the media. This really is not acceptable. It is really not what labor negotiations are about, and it's improper. We're disappointed that some individuals have decided to damage the integrity of these efforts. We are involved in negotiations, and some individuals have decided to damage that process before we were concluded. I mean, that's fucking boss talk, dude. Yeah, yeah, of course it is. It's just like, it's disgusting. And the thing is, is like, as soon as that happened, of course, every single worker saw that and they were like, oh my God, we hurt Bernie. Yeah. Our our grandpa Bernie, like he's mad at us, you know? And so that really created a culture of just like fear and intimidation around not only like leaks, but also just like union action in general, because anytime anything would happen, we would discuss anything. It would be like, oh, my God, what if someone leaks? It's going to hurt Bernie. What, what are they going to say? Well, this, this is the attitude, right? You can, so this is just this thing. This whole thing is so fascinating because it just shows like the attitude of management. And then a lot of the, the workers, yeah. right, who are not like the hardened communists mm-hmm. um, who just like, you know, don't on some level, like even Bernie, certainly his campaign manager, like really don't understand the meaning and the nature of organized labor, even though they're out there Mm -hmm. saying they support it and are like, oh, we got this unionized campaign. And it's like, it's adversarial. Okay. Like we, you can work, you can work together to make the product or to, you know, get someone elected, but at you unionize, you know, um, organized labor is about getting concessions out of, it's about how wielding power in the enterprise is about, uh, distributing power in a different way, and mm-hmm. it's like, no, you don't get to just say like, no, we're we're only going to pay you this much, or shut up, we're doing this for the cause. Like, they're gonna, you're gonna get some clapback. It's because it's not all for show. Like, right. it seems like the idea, like to them, you know, because this is what the labor movement is. Certainly to Democrats, it's just this, it's just this, uh, this thing they 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 talk up, you know, for yeah. Show. But and- like, come when they actually have are on the other side of it like they don't like it right and so you know again i had had years of campaign worker um experience and work um like before this so it's not like i was not familiar with what could happen but just we all thought again like oh bernie it's bernie he's not gonna fuck us over and like we have a union it's gonna be good you know what i mean like we thought this campaign was gonna be different but in reality it was one of the worst campaigns I've ever worked on. Um, and yeah, it's like if we didn't have that union, like I literally cannot imagine the things that they would have done to us and like how fucked over we would have got. Um, but even with the union, it's just they fought us at every single step. I yeah. mean, so after the leak, did they end up raising it to $15? So an hour? after the leak, basically what they ended up doing is um, so they made a 52 hour a week cap, which basically kept you at like right. fifteen fifty three or something like that. Uh-huh. But what they also did is so before. So, all, so, so then all the permanent staff was salaried basically. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, interns are paid hourly and they also would get overtime and we didn't. Yeah, so yeah. that was a thing. Um, but anyway, so yeah, they capped us at 52 hours a week, which we didn't have a cap before that. Um, but what they did do is they bumped us from five days a week to six days a week. <laughs> so that kind of sucked. Um, 
but yeah, so that was one of those things where again, like it's it it wasn't gonna happen unless it got leaked. And as soon as it leaked, it happened. And uh just ever since then, like that really set the stage for what the relationship was gonna look like what, between and when was this? this? This was in July 2019. And so What I was told when I interviewed, when I got my offer letter, all that sort of stuff, they were like, you will never work more than 52 hours a week. Never. Like, that is one of the best parts about this campaign. And they would even ask me, like, have you ever worked on a campaign where you had an hours cap? And I was like, no, I haven't. That's fucking rad. Um, You know, they told us that we would have holidays off, all that sort of stuff. Um, And sadly pretty quickly once we came on we found out that that was not going to be the case um so what was really wild is so yeah all this organizing that happened in july that these workers did um to get these wins um basically what management did to throw them out is they implemented a 21 day work schedule and so what that meant was 21 days before any caucus, any primary that was going to happen, if that was the state that you worked in, the uh, 52-hour-a-week schedule was, like, moot, and you had to work a 21-day GOTV schedule, Um, which, like, in theory, does that make sense? Absolutely, that, like, you would work more hours as GOTV gets closer, that sort of stuff. Meaning, basically, yeah, because that's the nature of a campaign. That's the nature of a campaign. I mean... There are other ways to think about it. They could yeah, hire. They could twice hire more staff. staff. Yes, they could. Uh, yep. But either way, the the hours cap as the solution would seem to be running up against a problem. Well, and of here's how the nature of campaigns. Well, here. right. Well, and here's the real problem: is like most workers. I'm not going to speak for all workers, but most workers on the campaign. Again, we know what we're signing up for. We know that we're going to be working 60, 70 plus hours. Yeah. But we should be paid for those hours. Right. And especially when we have been told explicitly that you are being capped at 52 hours. And the reason we are doing that is to be aligned with Bernie's values of making sure that you're paid $15 an hour. Um, but basic, so the schedule that we were given is, yeah, so like three weeks out. So uh, three weeks out, 60 hours a week, two weeks out, 65 hours a week, and then three weeks out, 72 hours a week. So that put us anywhere between 11.22 an hour and 13.46 an hour. Mm-hmm. And that's when we are working the longest days, working the hardest, have the most volunteers and out-of-staters coming in, and we're being paid the least. Yeah, that's so, just, I mean, yeah. again, the whole nature of a campaign, this is a campaign like any other, but mm-hmm. especially this one, with an enormous number of volunteers, people working for free. Yeah. I mean, I worked in Iowa I put many, many work. hours yeah. <laughs> for free. Yeah. Um, and uh, supported by the, uh, tra- my travel costs, supported by mm-hmm. the, uh, the the dear listeners. Yeah, we love. Um, and so the people we're talking about who are making or are on salary mm-hmm. making, you know, at or below Bernie's proposed minimum wage of $15, a minimum wage, are the people mm-hmm. running this campaign. Absolutely. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. As a field organizer, you were managing lots of turf managing lots of people and volunteers so let me give you an idea just of my turf just to let people know um i had the biggest organizing region in the state of iowa the most conservative region in the state of iowa it was steve king's district i worked it myself i did not have my own office so i had to work out of my car on the side of the road by myself in fucking farmland 
Um, and yeah, you know, again, like I signed up for you that had a commute too. I, like, oh yeah, so that's the thing too. There were no Airbnbs or supporter housing in my entire region, and so I ended up just getting. Which is not surprised. I've been there. No, it's not and surprising. There's no Airbnbs because <laughs> yeah, no, there's nothing. No, there's there's nothing just there. these little yeah. bombed out, dead, deindustrialized. Yeah. Uh, towns with yeah. nothing going on. It's really like one of the bleakest uh, landscapes I've ever seen in my life. And some yeah. of the bleakest, saddest towns I've yeah. ever seen. So the thing that was really wild about my organizing region, again, it was so big that so, okay, there were there, my region was region six and within region six, there's like a bunch of different organizers and it's split into different turf. My turf itself did not have an office. There were other offices in my region, but they were literally 70 miles away, 60 miles away, things like that. So yeah. I would sometimes work in those offices, but it was like not often. Or like if I was going to do that, that was going to be a fucking two and a half hour round trip. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, so one of the reasons why I specifically got really involved in the union is because, again, when we were hired on, we went through our training, blah, blah, blah. We were told every office has a shop steward. Yeah. Okay, so what happens if you don't have an office? Who yeah. do I go to? Um, who do rural organ and like I'm not so like we had a Slack channel that was just rural organizers and that was a complaint that people they're like we don't know who we're supposed to go to for our issues of like you know we're being told that like we still have to drive like in these fucking blizzard conditions and like we're getting stuck in ditches and shit like that like who do we go to you know they were just having to fucking knock on people's doors to help them get their car out of the ditch like yeah. The campaign wasn't providing any help, no guidance of like, you know, if the weather is like this, you don't have to do that. Basically, the only guidance they had for weather was like, you don't have to door knock if it's negative 15 or below. <laughs> yeah, but you still have to go to your turf and do work. So that yeah. meant like there were situations where I was driving in whiteout conditions where I asked my RFD, I asked the state director, do I have to go to work today? And they said yes. And yeah, like, you know, when I was like, okay, who should I talk to about this? You know, they're like, oh, you should talk to a shop steward. I don't have a shop steward. Yeah. Because I don't have an office. So that's when I was like, okay, I'm fucking nominating myself to be a shop steward so that I can help these rural organizers. But like, there was a bunch of other shit going on too, of course. Um, Did you make that official? What do you mean? With the union? What? Or just... As a shop steward. Yeah, yeah, I did shop steward training. But like, so by the time I did shop steward training and all that sort of stuff, it was literally like... January 22nd. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? It's like they did they did training once a month and I brought I was brought on in December, the next one was in January, blah blah blah. Yeah. Anyways, though, so going back to the 21-day work schedule, the like uh, like I said, like are we kind of okay with working those extended hours? Yeah, probably. Um but the reality is, is like we were hired on and like explicitly and they sold this to us like you'll never have to work more than 52 hours a week. So for people who lived in Iowa and like actually got hired onto the campaign and like they have families and stuff like that, yeah. that actually did suck not having that option. The other reason that really sucked, too, is this was not just applying to Iowa. This was applying to New Hampshire, Nevada, California, yeah. blah, 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 blah. So... And, and at this time we were saying theoretically, but this actually happened to a lot of fucking people is so let's say you're in Iowa, you get redeployed to New Hampshire. You're going from a 72 hour week to a 72 hour week. Then you get redeployed to Nevada, another 72 hour week. You get because there's they're all they just 
yeah, there's not 21 more than 21 days in between. No, these so primaries. you're so yeah. basically what it was saying is once primary season starts, the CBA is moot. You don't yeah. have a 52 hour cap anymore, and that didn't seem appropriate. And again, if you're gonna do that, that's one thing, but you have to at least pay us. Right. That was like our basic thing was like, a we need to at least like rene we wanted to renegotiate the 21 day schedule, but like the bare minimum was like you need to pay people over time or back pay or whatever it needs to be, you know? Yeah. So, um, I didn't create, I wasn't like one of the founding members of this committee, but, um, like I was involved with this committee. It was a transparency committee that was set up to force management to be more transparent, um, about campaign strategy, redeployment process, um, hours, stuff like that, because we, had to set up a committee for them to actually talk to us about that sort of stuff and like be forced to sit down at the table. You know, they didn't want to actually just have us there and talk about it. Um, so like one of the meetings that I went to, um, the question was asked and I have this still in my, like I pulled it from my notes from my email. So the question was um, for employees who are redeploying to, into another caucus location, will there be downtime or days off? And Faz said, um, and this is a quote, we are aware of how hard people are working and want to give them what we can. But if things are tight, we're going to ask for flex flexibility and for people to adapt and to sleep later. 48 hour notice for travel will be respected, but you have to be ready to give it our all. So we'll see. Sleep later, as in not like sleep in, but like sleep after the campaign's over. Sleep after Bernie well, wins what, the primary. What it's saying, too, is think about it this way. So we are not being flown to different states. We right. have to drive. Like one of the requirements of the campaign was that you have a working vehicle because uh -huh. like we're having to drive so much. So we are basically being told not after a 72 hour week. You are expected to, in under 48 hours, get to your next state. And yeah, so we pushed back on that, that like. People need to have a day off and be able to sleep in between fucking working a 72-hour week and traveling and, and then working another 72-hour week. Yeah. Like, no, because, I mean, some people were sent to New Hampshire, which is a little closer, but a lot of people were sent to Nevada. That's a fucking... That in itself is like... I mean, it's not 40-hour drive, but, like, that takes two days to get there. Yeah, like, yeah. you know. Um, so, basically, people were being told, like... As soon as you are done, you need to drive to your next state and get to work and sleep later. Yeah. And that was the official policy of the campaign manager. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it just, yeah, it's really disappointing. Um, so, yeah, like from the 21 day schedule, like that's really where just like shit really started popping off again. Because from that July period where the 52 hour cap was instated to December, it's like, you know, of course, where there are grievances sometimes and stuff like that, I'm sure. But there wasn't any like huge pop offs of things. And then, like, I mean, just think about it from a management and, like, strategy perspective. If you don't want another leak, why didn't they just pay us? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it would have cost them so little money to pay us, like, the differential between 52 hours and 72 hours yeah. or 60 well, hours. We're, ta we're not talking – we're talking minimum wage here, right? Yeah. We're talking you're asking to yeah. get up to $15 minimum wage. It's mm -hmm. like we're not talking about – like these aren't these are still low these are still incredibly yeah. low pay. <laughs> and you're just trying to get up to like the level of dignity, no, right? No, and okay. And a low pay in a system that is relying on an enormous amount of volunteer labor. Yep. So like yeah. It's incredibly low pay and we were told over and over again how lucky we were. 
Yeah. And it was based, you know, of course, did they ever say this like straight up? No, but it was very much implied that if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be here. It'll work for Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> no, but basically, you know, it's like, hey, we have the best benefits. You have the best health care of any campaign. You don't have to be here. You know, there's there's hundreds of other people who would be so happy to have your position. And that was said in meetings all the time is that, you know, there's a reason why you were chosen. Well, they could have hired those people, yeah, too. Right. right? Yeah. They could have hired. <laughs> there's all these qualified right? people. Mm-hmm. Who really wanted to do this, they could have brought on yeah. more staff mm-hmm. and had and you work fewer hours. No, they too, would right? frequently talk about, you know, there's so many people who would just feel so lucky to be in your position, but you were brought here for a reason, you know? And so are you gonna do what we need or not? Um and yeah, it's just like that sort of you know, I mean, quite frankly, like brainwashing, you know, think about it. I'm someone that had a lot of campaign worker experience. And so I saw the bullshit for what it was. But a lot of these kids were 19, 21, yeah. 22. This is the first time they're working on a campaign and they're working for Bernie fucking Sanders. Do you think that they're going to like, you know, shake the boat? Absolutely not. Right. No. So like so connected to the 21 day schedule like so that was something that like you know when you were staying with us and stuff though when we were having like shop steward meetings at 11:15 at night like on Zoom or like having people over at the house like that was mostly what it was about was the 21 day schedule stuff Yeah no I remember I I I show up at this house that turns out to be <laughs> like it's the funniest thing to me I'm like all right we're all here get Bernie Sanders elected and like, oh yeah, but of course I show up in this house and it, because it's like, <laughs> has the space, it becomes like this meeting place for this wildcat, uh, organizing in these yeah. meetings and everybody really paranoid about me listening in. Yeah. Yeah. That's again, the, the culture of like fear about leaking. Um, and you know, you were a podcaster too. So sus. Yeah. You know? Very sus. Hella sus. Um, but yeah, so like, connected to the schedule the 21 day schedule situation is really just where they continue to try and fuck us over and over again because once they put us in that 21 day schedule everything else in the cba regarding our schedule they claimed was moot and like the what they used as reason was due to the nature of campaign work which is exactly what you said right yeah well it's also i mean i mean yeah, you could say that about anything. You can say that I mean, about like, anything. I mean, mean, you can say that about like, you know, that's why we have to overwork nurses is because due to the nature of nursing work, like they have to work 12 hour shifts. Again, it's like doesn't address that you are willing to work the hours, yeah. just literally yeah. just pay. Yeah, exactly. Just pay the wage. Pay and like making sure or, people got you know, days they, off in between. There were other strategies yeah. they could do. Yeah, they could bring on more mm-hmm. people too. That too. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. No. And so here's like, again, all those people who were. It, qualified people who wanted yeah, to be there that wanted those positions so bad no it was always another thing they would always talk about faz was that it was always about you know budget decisions and budgetary constraints and blah 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 and it's just like bitch we fucking broke fundraising records in january and february like for you to try and say it's budget shit like it literally would have only cost like a million dollars a month to keep like 200 extra staff on because they paid us so little, you know? Yeah, yeah. We're talking like, about pennies here. Yeah, we're talking about pennies when they the raised $46 million dollars on in one month. Yeah. yeah. So but that's the thing. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, they're looking at this from, you know, when you're in that management seat, you're looking yeah. at this and actually you're looking at most of your labor force being volunteer. And at that point, you're yeah, like, we'll get to that. you're yeah. like probably resenting that you have to pay the little people Absolutely. who are running it for you at all. Yeah. You know? No, they saw us as an, as an annoyance for sure. 
Um, so yeah, so connected to the schedule stuff. So in that 21 day schedule, um, was Martin Luther King day. Um, so in our CBA, it said, so CBA article 10.2 salaried employees shall be entitled to be off on the above holidays. One of them was MLK day, um, unless otherwise agreed to between the employee and their supervisor, in which case the employee shall receive a compensatory day to be used within 14 days. So what that says, not only does it say that to like in our opinion, but from the union's perspective is you get these days off. However, if you and your supervisor both agree that you would like to work that day, like that you agree. It's already like. Yeah, right. You know, I know. You, yeah. That's not how. No, it's, labor it's such bad language. Work, right. It's yeah. such garbage. Yeah, so it's terrible. So unless otherwise agreed to between the employee and the supervisor. You mean the, the employee who is <laughs> whose job is to take orders from the yeah, supervisor. Yeah. Yeah. In which case the employee shall receive a compensatory day within 14 days. Okay, so that says basically like in theory, let's say that you were fine working MLK day. You are given a day off within 14 days. Okay, in theory, fair, right? Well, did that happen? Of course it didn't because they said that it was within the 21-day schedule. And so what they did... Which, like, when you hear this, it also just doesn't fucking make sense. So I was a field organizer, but we also had campus organizers. That's, like, what Melissa was. And so um, campus organizers, their job specifically was to organize students to go on to community college and university campuses um, because there were satellite caucus locations on the campuses. And so it was, you know, finding student leaders, you know, instead of door knocking, they were hitting up students, if that makes sense. They were going to cafeterias and libraries and stuff like that. So all of the field organizers were going to be given MLK day off, um, as part of the 21 day schedule. But for some reason they decided that campus organizers were going to have to work on Martin Luther King jr. Day. Um, which not only according to the CBA, should they not have to do, it should be an option of if you want to do it. But like, if you actually think about campus organizing, that's like the last group of organizers that should be working on a holiday because campuses are closed. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, if you actually like talk to people on the ground who are actually doing this work and if they would have actually like brought organizers in to create this, uh, schedule, you know, maybe they would have sent field organizers out on MLK day because people are going to be home and we would have knocked doors and like you would have given people the option to work that day. You know, that would have been fair if you gave people the option, but they just said, no, all student organizers have to work on that day. Um, and yeah, you know, like, yeah. So it was Melissa. She was my roommate in Iowa and she was one of the campus organizers. And yeah, she told me about that. And we're just like, yeah, fuck that dude. Like, let's read the CBA. Let's look. We talked to our union rep and she was like, yeah, like they can't make you work that day. So Melissa told all the campus organizers, they emailed their boss and they were like, yeah, like, you know, some, some of them were fine working that day. Some of them weren't, but they wanted to be given the choice. And also, um, the compensatory day that the campaign was like willing to give them was going to be on February 5th, which is after the caucus. So like that, (laughs) like, so they wouldn't be working in the state anyway. Yeah. So basically what it was, was it wasn't a day off. It was just like, you would get paid an extra day. Right. Okay. Okay. But like we were working so fucking much that a lot of those people had been looking forward to having MLK junior day off for weeks. 
You know? Yeah. They don't want just a paid day off. They want a day off so they can sleep in, so they can get their hair cut, so they can, like, go to the doctor's office, you know? Um, And, yeah, like, we just were not about that. And so we filed grievances. And that was one of the ones that we actually fought and won. Um, because yeah, like they tried to say like, no, like you do have to work. We're giving you a compensatory day. And then the union was like, fuck that. Like, no. Um, and yeah, that was one of the situations where like, not only did it impact us, but for the future States, like for president's day and all that sort of stuff, like they had to follow what we said. Um, but yeah, again, it's like if, if we wouldn't have been there fighting for that with the union, like they just would have fucking made people do it like they didn't give a shit you know yeah totally yeah so okay another another small win that was a small one yeah but like that was just again it was one of those things where like think about the conditions and like the the head spaces that we were in we were already working you know eight ten twelve hour days having like super long commutes and we were constantly having to have these little battles with management over everything. Like it couldn't just be like, oh, hey, here's this thing that a worker is having a problem with. Or, hey, like, can we address this? Like never it, no matter how small or big it was, it always had to be a fight. And when people are fucking exhausted and working so long, like, you know, some of us were willing to do that. But a lot of people like they ended up leaving because of stupid shit like this, because they felt over and over again, like their labor was not appreciated by this campaign and they were literally killing themselves, you know, for this campaign. So that like this next one is really where things ramped up and like got a little more spicy. Um, so again, so we have field organizers. That's what I was, um, you know, and then we have campus organizers. Like we were talking about, we also had constituency organizers, And then office organizers. Um, So office organizers, they're, like, in charge of, like, staffing offices, cutting turf, like, um, getting food for volunteers, stuff like that. Like, they're not, like, organizing and out knocking doors. Like, they are managing the offices, you know? Um, Uh And field organizers, constituency, and campus organizers, like, we're out on the ground. We're either, like, in our communities or we're on the campuses. Um... And so, like, even though we would use offices, like, we weren't staffing them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, office organizers for the 21-day work schedule, again, going back to that bullshit, um, like, their hours, like, I don't remember exactly what they were, but it was something like 8.30 to 6.30 or something like that. Um, But offices were open from 8 a.m. until 9 p.m., Okay. So if your hours are 8.30 to 6.30, but the office is open from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m., and field organizers, campus organizers, and constituency organizers are not available to staff because we are expected to work until 8.30 p.m., mm-hmm. who is staffing those offices? Well, you tell us, Cassidy. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, when we would ask our regional field directors or management, they kind of just would shrug. Um, and like, we couldn't have volunteer, like it was a rule that volunteers could not staff, um, uh, offices. And mm-hmm. in addition to that, like that offices could not be left alone, like while volunteers were there, which like makes sense. Yeah. But these office organizers basically were expected to just work 13 hour shifts. Yeah. 
Um, even though like the paper said, oh, 830 to 630. But like, were you going to shut down your office when there was a bus of out of state volunteers coming at six o'clock and like you're supposed to clock out at 630, but it's going to take until 715 to train them? Like, and no, no question of having like two per office and working in in staggered shifts or anything no and so here's the thing though so in some areas like des moines they probably had plenty of staff do you know what i mean but for areas um like mine it was one office organizer and so not only does that mean again that like they were the only person staffing it but yeah like they weren't even able to take like lunch and bathroom breaks because they didn't have anyone to relieve them um, but yeah, even, Jesus. yeah, even for people in Des Moines, pissing in bottles on the burning. Yeah. Right? Holy shit. I mean, I'm not going to say that, but like, so like we were friends with a couple office organizers and that specifically, like they were already pissed off enough about having to work their long shifts. But what they were more mad about was like, we, you don't get any break, none, because if you have volunteers coming in all the fucking time. When do you get to go to the bathroom? When do you get to go get lunch? Like, you can't. Um, And then the other thing, too, is, yeah, like, even if you were somewhere, like, in Des Moines where you had plenty of staff, office organizers were expected to submit online reports for their offices at 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. So how are you supposed to submit a report for your office if you're not there? It's just, like, it was so messed up. Um, And so, like, these... Motherfuckers were expected to work like 85 hours a week. Jesus. So they were getting paid even less, like less than $11 an hour. Um, And it just, it was so bad. And to a point that literally no one cared. Like, again, we went through the processes. We filed the grievances, blah, blah, blah. No one fucking cared. So we had like, um, there's 16 regions in Iowa. We had 16 office organizers, Um, And yeah, one of them was a shop steward and knew it was bullshit. And basically he pulled language from our CBA that says this. If an employee has a reasonable belief that they are unsafe, um, they may leave and close the office if necessary. The employee shall contact their supervisor and may only be required to return uh, with consent of the union. No one will be disciplined, discharged, or discriminated against for raising concerns about office conditions and standards. Um, So another thing about the 21-day work schedule is like, um, we weren't allowed to take uh, vacation days. Like right. you were no longer allowed to take any paid time off, um, but you were allowed to use sick days. So using that language that said, if an employee feels they have a reasonable belief that they are unsafe, um, they can shut down the office and they will not be disciplined, discharged or discriminated against. Um, we all, we got all the office organizers together and you know, they were just at a point that like, again, they're working 85 hour weeks. They were fucking tired. So done. And like, at least as field organizers, like when we're knocking doors, like I can take a quick break and head to Casey's or I can do this or, you know, like they didn't get that dude. And so they were like, we're ready to escalate. We don't want to go through the union processes. Just one of your uh, (laughs) uh, pantheon of favorite Iowa gas station pizza. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that was literally my office a lot of the time was Casey's. Yeah, Um, the hot dog rack. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, So, yeah, they were just done. Like, they were fucking done, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So we had 16 office organizers, and we had 14 of them call out sick. Um, And the only reason that two of them did not is because they had been hired within two weeks, like less than two weeks, and they were still under, like, a... 
what's the word I'm trying to think of? Like probationary. probationary. So they could be disciplined for any time for any reason sort of thing. So we recommended to them don't go to work, but don't call out sick. We're just going to have somebody cover you because like, we just wanted them to like have a day off, Mm -hmm. but like we didn't want them to get disciplined. Um, but the other 14 organizers, they called into their supervisor as you're expected to do called out sick. Um, and yeah, so like we fucking organized a sick out on the Bernie campaign. It was (laughs) wild. Yeah, it These was are the wild. Field offices These are the field yeah. offices. And this is, you know, I, I mean, I, I can't. Rem- so here's like some really fucked up stuff is like, so when they laid us off, they revoked our access to our email, our Slack, our files, like immediately. So like a lot of this stuff is stuff that like I just happen to have screenshots of. But like, I don't know a lot of the dates for this stuff because they just fucking pulled access for me. But it, it was in the last couple, like those last three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like there were supposed to be buses coming and shit. Do you know what I mean? Like it was a big fucking deal. The whole campaign was shook. Like, (laughs) yeah, I can't explain like just how wild it felt to be doing that and to be a part of that. Um, but so yeah, that day our state director, um, Misty Rybeck, um, who by the way, like Bernie kept on as his chief of staff, which is like really fucking gross because she's the worst. Um, so Misty Rybeck sent an all staff email, um, basically being an asshole and showing themselves entirely. Um, so what they said was because office organizers won't be staffing the office, we will have to cancel door knocking for regions where there's no coverage for our friend to friend relational organizing parties. Um, so like there's supposed to be like a party sort of thing at the offices that night. Uh Um, uh, for the friend-to-friend relational organizing parties scheduled from 6.30 p.m. to 9 p.m. So basically she said in that email in writing that like because office organizers weren't going to be around, that field organizers needed to be there from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Okay, yeah. But according to their schedule, they wouldn't have been there anyways, right? They're off at 6.30, Misty. So right. Like she yeah. was admitting right there that they were being expected to work outside of their allotted schedule and that field organizers were going to have to be pulled from their work to staff offices because they expected office organizers to work outside of their schedule. Yeah. Like she said it right there and she was so out of touch that like she just fucking said it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was just, yeah, it was so wild. <sighs> um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, like they're clearly coming. They just have a totally different, um, Look, they have a ma- managerial view of this whole thing. Like, absolutely. But, oh yeah, I forgot. Like, these things are not really <laughs> like they want you, the workers, to just believe. Like, yeah, we're all we're doing this to get Bernie elected, so it doesn't matter. Like right. the contract, yeah. the yeah. things we say. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's whatever. Yeah. We're all just gonna work till we drop, mm-hmm. and don't expect to get paid for it. Right. You know? The other thing I forgot to say is in her email. So yeah, you know, it was a sick out. Um, and mind you that like, you know, and you know this, like weeks before this, like we were all fucking sick, like actually sick and nobody gave a shit on the campaign because like everyone was sick. So they were like, yeah, everyone has to work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but when this sick out happened, like part of the email that she sent, um, she was like, he, like these are cleaning procedures that need to be done immediately at the offices because apparently all of the office organizers are sick. Like, and it's just like, fuck you, Misty. You're so dumb. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So makes sense. that was just like, again, just a really fucking, like when I think about the fact that we organized a strike on the Bernie campaign, um, 
Yeah, it's just wild. So, yeah, again, all of that's going on behind the scenes with um, the 21-day work schedule. Like, that still was going on. Like, we're having fucking transparency committee meetings. We're having shop steward meetings. We're having management. Like, just all these fucking meetings all the fucking time. We're exhausted. We're working 60-plus hours a week. Like, it was just so stupid. So... You know, again, like, given the fact that it was such a huge scandal in June when, um, like, the workers were paid less than $50 an hour, it was just, like, really shocking that, like, campaign management wasn't just willing to, like, give that to us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Because, yeah, like, everyone was so afraid of a leak. And so it's like, okay, if you're afraid of a leak, then just fucking pay us. Like, then we'll shut up and get to work, you know? Yeah. Um, but the difference between June and December is that the union got stacked with DC staffers as shop stewards. Um, and they would frequently vote against any of our plans for escalation or direct action. So basically think about it this way. Like the way I like to compare it is like, you think of like Amazon workers who like might be tech workers who get paid really well. And then there's the workers who are working. Yeah. Like, you know, in the, um, fulfillment centers or as drivers and stuff like that. Like, the experience of those different workers is very fucking different. Yeah. So for DC workers, like they fucking had sick ass offices and like they got to, you know, like have like Nina Turner and Bernie, like just like come to staff meetings with them and shit. Like, like they were rubbing elbows with the bosses. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so after the July thing, like in July, the shop stewards were literally like workers, but by December and January, like when we would have shop store meetings regarding Iowa, it yeah. would be a bunch of fucking people from DC coming into our meetings and telling us you're going to hurt the campaign. You're going to hurt Bernie. This yeah. is not responsible. Um, and it was just like so disgusting. Like so often we would have to tell off these fuckers and be like, you have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Or maybe you do. And you literally just don't care. Like, but yeah. That's fucked up. So some like sometimes it would be successful. Scabs. scabs, literally, dude, literally. And like, I don't remember the exact shit that we found, but like we would look these people up on LinkedIn and it's like they worked for like the grossest people oh, in no the doubt. past. Yeah. You know what I mean? For like think tanks and like DC careerists, man. DC. Exactly. They were the DC staffers. So they would frequently vote against our plans for escalation and direct action. Um, but also they would like, I mean, we don't know this, but it's pretty easy to put together that like a lot of the time when we would be talking about things we were going to do, like then all of a sudden it's just like, huh, like management knows about it. That's weird. Yeah. You know, so weird. Um, so we decided um, to also we created a campaign culture committee. Um, it, like I was a founding member, Melissa L, like all the people we were staying with, we created a campaign culture committee to hold campaign management and strategic decision makers accountable to the values that Bernie is fighting for. Um, so that was really, again, about like the 21 day work schedule, $15 an hour. Like just, we could literally just like go to like, here's Bernie's platform on the website. And like, mm -hmm. here's what we are dealing with. And so like, it's very hard for a DC staffer, you know, it's, it's one thing for them to vote against escalation, but when you're like, look, like the platform that like you guys typed up says this and like, we're, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, so that's the way we really tried to frame it. 
And so a lot of field staffers, again, with the $15 an hour and 21 day work schedule, we felt like let's fucking go to the press because like that is how we're going to get it done. That's what happened last time. Um, but the DC staffers were like, oh, we're so close to the caucus. Like if Bernie loses the caucus, it will be your fault. Like, yeah. um, and in re- like, <laughs> yeah. It's just so fucked. Um, so what ended up happening is yeah, the, it's blackmail. And it's all blackmail. you're asking for it's is blackmail. like fucking a crumb of fucking dignity. Yeah. And so, right. Like these are the workers, those workers in DC were getting paid good. Like they aren't in fucking negative 15 degree weather working for Bernie, you know? Um, but yeah, like they were able to scare enough of our field staffers to be afraid of leaking still, you know? Um, so the compromise that we made was okay we don't want to hurt bernie before the caucus like again like you know my feelings as a shop steward are one thing but even if i disagree with the workers like i'm fighting for the workers and so like okay you don't want to leak whatever but we you know everybody agreed like we need to get paid you know yeah so what our compromise was was we were going to stop submitting field reports during the last 72 hours um so like saturday sunday monday Mm mm-hmm before the camp before the caucus and so what that means so from my perspective as a worker every three hours after like each um door knocking shift we were expected to submit field reports so how many um people showed up each each staging location how many packets we went through doors knocked you know what i mean so this is managerialism this is how management functions they need the constant info from the ground or or they don't have anything to do. Right. And so we felt like, okay, we don't want to do a work stoppage. I mean, not me, but like I'm speaking for the workers. They didn't want to do a work stoppage. They were afraid of doing something that might be public facing. Um, But stopping management from collecting any data on work that was being done would be a really huge disadvantage to them because they're always talking about like, we knocked 50,000 doors this week or like, okay, what precincts do we need to focus on or this Mm -hmm. or that? Like if we stopped submitting our field reports and we weren't updating van, which is like the voter action um, network, like database where everything gets updated when we knock doors. Mm -hmm. So like we were talking about giving our volunteers like paper lists. So instead of doing it on the app minivan, printing out lists and having people still door knock and still do the work, but just not submit the data. And we were just going to tell them, yeah, the app's down today. You know what I mean? Like we weren't going to make it a fuck Bernie thing. We just wanted to tell management, fuck you. You know, we're not going to give you. I mean, from management's going to see that as a slowdown, you know, Mm -hmm. regardless. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah. Um, But we were able that was a compromise we were able to make with workers to say look this would not we would still be working for bernie we're not going to do a work stoppage before the caucus mm-hmm. because people were legitimately worried that like if we don't door knock what if he loses and yeah. guess what like he barely fucking won so i mean if we did a work stoppage who knows like maybe we could have lost but that shows how important our labor is right could a work stoppage have perhaps impacted the results? Yeah, but I think that speaks to how critical our labor was, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, like the plan was not a work stoppage, not public facing, um, but that we were just going to stop collecting data. And what we were going to tell management was, again, and they were very familiar with this, was that the demand was that we be paid for the hours that we worked during the 21-day work schedule and that the 21-day schedule, um, you know, we have the opportunity to amend or bargain on that for future states again so that people can have that downtime 
get a little sleep. I don't know. Uh, and so the day we were planning to do this, like literally the email was like in our drafts, ready to go. Um, what do you think happens? You know, just somehow like management must've just weirdly found out, you know, mm-hmm. uh, DC staffers, I hate you. Um, and so management scheduled an all staff emergency call. Um, and, they didn't talk about the uh, rumored, you know, uh, stopping of filing reports at all. They didn't say they didn't say that once. But basically what it was, was uh, it was like a session where management asked all of the workers to go around and say what they sacrificed to work on this historic campaign. <laughs> that was the emergency meeting. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, so, you know, people are going around, you know, of course they started with a couple of people that I'm sure were prepped and ready to go. And, you know, they cried and talked about, you know, they gave up this or I'm fighting for this and healthcare and, you know, my dad and, you know, blah, 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 all this sort of stuff. And, um, then management ended it with how every single action that we do or don't take in the next 72 hours which they said specifically in the next 72 hours, um, any action you do or don't take is what's going to determine whether Bernie wins or not. And so, um, you know, just really be very mindful about what you're doing and not doing. Even if it seems small, just make sure that you're checking all those boxes and you're good to go, you guys. Um, And it's just like, yay, right? Um, So it was clear of union busting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and brainwashing. Again, and I, All this stuff, that's, I mean, look, this is all true. This is the problem with, with this kind of, uh, I mean, this is a whole tactic in a lot of industries, like, you know, anti-labor practices and union busting is like, yeah, this kind of moral blackmail, right? And yeah. because it works, because this stuff is true, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, you got to remember, all you were asking was to be paid a fucking yeah. pittance and just uh, with some dignity. No, again, know? it's just like, it's still like when I think about it, it blows my mind how much they were more willing to fight us than they were to just make it not a problem anymore. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, this is the. It would have cost them such little money, but they just didn't want to. The, this is like like everything, including uh, even a campaign you believe in is still going to be infected by the fucking capitalist reality of the world we live in and the fucking management mindset that permeates fucking everything you know yeah so like i mean they really just had like these kids on the campaign believing that like if they took too long of a break or if they didn't submit their report it would be their fault if bernie lost like yeah and it was just so sad so yeah everybody pussied out um and we ended up not doing the stoppage of reports and basically everybody Worked their asses off those last 72 hours and we got a win for Bernie. Um, And then it was just like silence from the campaign for three days, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Um, And again, you know, were there some people who lived in Iowa that were working on the campaign? Yeah, but there were a lot of people who picked up their lives. They were staying in an Airbnb or with supporter housing and nobody was telling us what was happening next um so that's kind of incredible because so basically you are all for the most part you are all intending like you got a job on the bernie campaign they sent you to iowa but you're still 
you this 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 is a national campaign that's going on for you know the next entire year basically and so you're expecting you're gonna continue working for this campaign so presumably you know there is some process we're for assigning you where go to go home. next you know we're right? not supposed to just go home right. you're supposed to go to your next state so you would think and we were under contract until friday so uh caucus was on a monday we're on contract until friday and theoretically we're supposed to be redeployed soon after to give some context the elizabeth warren campaign even before they knew how she was going to do um people got redeployment notices two weeks before the caucus well, that's what i was going to say is like they, this the is something styre, you would plan ahead the styre, knowing that you could sh- change those things too it's not like they couldn't t- give everybody a an assignment you're going to drive to this mm-hmm. they're telling you like you've got to because they have been telling you you've got to get to your next state yeah. right away and start oh, work yeah. presumably well, they could have assigned everybody a state and an office so you could go look for housing i mean they're they're not booking your housing no, for you so you got to find your own fucking housing they're expecting people to get to their new town or you know turf are they get, this is a good question are they they're no. offering anything toward paying for your housing no nope. so they just expect you to move mm-hmm. across the country mm-hmm. assuming you're you're paying you a minimum wage so yep. that like and still they're not paying you an out of state person to live there <laughs> Which is that's just a, a gross like uh, abuse anyway. I mean, well, think if you about, can, you know, if you don't have, if you are in a position where you can, can do that, oh, yeah, yeah, or or people who have can yeah. walk can not be living somewhere, have no right. possessions, yeah. they yeah. can't fit in Absolutely. a car, and yeah. like which was or, a lot of people too, yeah, right. So the right that's who they were able to get right is people who uh, like could walk uh, away and not be paying anything back home, you know. Oh, okay. So yeah. So yeah, Liz campaign, like they got assigned within two weeks, the Steyer campaign, like their office was packed and um, empty, like the morning after (laughs) the caucus, it was wild. Um, But like, yeah, we again, we had the transparency committee because we wanted transparency around the redeployment process. And they fought us at every step of the well, way. Everyone, and I remember this. Everyone as the day was coming up, everyone was like, I have no idea where I'm going next. I, I'd be finding a fucking Airbnb in the neighborhood that I'm going to be doing about, right now. But think about those last days of work. Again, we're working 72 hour weeks and we're stressed out not only about the caucus right in front of us, but what is my life gonna be in two days in five days where do i start driving i'm supposed to start driving to get to start to work where do where where am i going and the other component to that too is like they literally had us fill out as soon as we got hired on they had us fill out redeployment surveys and Mm -hmm. what these were was it was supposed to be we would tell them like where would you prefer to work where do you not want to work like where do you have political connections these sort of things Mm -hmm. So, again, like, it was always the intention. And, like, even when I was hired on, like I said, like, look, like, I'm leaving my other job for this. And so, you know, I understand that, you know, this recruiter, like, they can't promise me a job. But not only did she say, like, oh, absolutely, you'll be on an o- on other states. But she said, given your experience, like, I'm sure that you'll be brought on as a re- regional field director or hire. Um, and it's like, you know, again, like, I'm not going to take a recruiter's promise of something. But this was something that was told to almost everybody was that like you will have a job after Iowa um and that was not the reality so first off yeah it was just like really cruel and gross that like we were all just sitting there Tuesday is that everybody in the state like all the field no one was given a reassignment 
All of them, yeah. So, but what happened? So then Thursday morning, we get an email from Faz that says we're going to have an all staff call at 12 o'clock on Thursday. It gets to be like 1248 or something. And then they email us and say, so sorry, everybody. It's actually going to be at three o'clock, which again, it's just like, they just kept like dicking us. And it was just like so stressful. Like I was having to pay for a fucking hotel room at the Quality Inn night after night after night being like, do I stay another night? I have to check it, check out at 11 and then I have to check back into a new room. You know, like Jesus it was just Christ. so stupid. So, okay. We finally get on this call at three o'clock. Um, and basically what they told us is that the way it was going to work is they were going to lay off everyone. And then what would happen is that redeployments would happen in waves. And so you might get a call. You might not. It might happen today. It might happen in a week. And so, again, that just left people even more like, wait, what the fuck is happening? I got laid off and now, like, am I supposed to wait in Iowa for a week? Am I supposed to go home and then go somewhere? Like, there was no clarity. Nobody knew what the fuck was going on. Um, and so, yeah, like, did some people get called back? Yeah, they did. But basically, so, and they didn't tell us this on the call. This but just sounds like a fucking mess. It was a mess. Like no. a fucking even disaster. Just, even just, like, like not from a like, moral perspective, but just from, like, no, a like, logistic perspective. Like, 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 was this campaign thinking past Iowa at all? Like, So here's the thing. No. <laughs> like, that's the problem. Like, if you talk to, like, Sean, um, so, like, Sean Scott, he was the state field director here in Washington, um, he was someone like that I would frequently call and literally like cry to about the stuff that was happening on the campaign because again I was scared to talk to anyone about it who wasn't part of the campaign um, but Sean was like a staffer but not in Iowa you know what I mean so it's yeah. like he would hear my horror stories and be like oh oh no um, but like Washington State was not given clearance to bring on any staffers until after Iowa yeah. And think about it. Like our our um primary in Washington state was March 10th. The caucus here was or in Iowa was February 3rd. That's less than a month to yeah. ramp up for an entire state. And that's not just for Washington state. That's what it was for every state except New Hampshire, Nevada, California. That's it. And so what happened? That seems that I mean, yeah. You call that disorganization, but it, that seems like a strategy decision early on. Like they were gonna do a strategy of just cleaning up in certain strategic states. Well, and which here's sounds what, to me like they overthought it. Well, and here's what, yeah, like Faz's uh, his strategy was we're gonna win Iowa in a blowout. Which did that happen? No, it didn't. Um, you know, we barely fucking won. And like, we can even debate whether that is a thing or not. Um, but they used that as their excuse. They said that um, the major layoffs were needed because Bernie didn't have a huge win in Iowa. So their fundraising wasn't where it needed to be to bring on staff for other states. Well, at that point, you're that's that's giving up. At that it's point. giving up. It's giving up. So, like it, it, the that campaigns already. That's you. you uh, six months before the primaries start is when you should be thinking about like you got it. Yeah. Like okay, let's. We can't hire the staff because this might not be a real thing. Yeah. But if you're saying like our number after even though we won Iowa, our numbers are where we are going to be, so we're not going to staff up the campaign. Well, then you've 
Like what? Spend your last. Who cares? Spend this was, your last dollar. Spend everything absolutely. you got in the bank. And take the fucking take loans. Like this that's was what, a. This if was you're a gonna key. win. You have to just go for it. You can't like lose time now on the back of the an Iowa win, which is a big deal. Like you can't like slow down. Well, and again, we're talking about the Bernie fucking Sanders campaign, which is like we know there's no possibility of us winning unless we build a mass movement and have people on the ground. And right. so the fact that they were so short-sighted and only went in for a single state and then we're basing everything, you know, they claim they were basing it all on one win. But the reality is, like I said before, I mean, $25 million in January, $46 million in February, to keep every field staffer on in Iowa, if they would have redeployed them to every Super Tuesday state, or let's even say, like, if they would have just appropriately staffed future states. Yeah. To have 200 staffers in each of these states paid at $15 an hour, it's like less than a million dollars. I mean... Yeah. So for them to say that it was a fundraising thing, it's not like it's just not. Um, so, again, what ended up happening and, you know, management never told us this. Like we just had to figure this out through the union and literally just figuring out like who wasn't on our rolls anymore and who wasn't or who was and wasn't. Um, Two thirds of the staff were laid off in Iowa. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're talking about over 100 people who were laid off. Um, and yeah, like that's a campaign that's winding down, not a campaign that is ready to fucking fight and right, win. People, like, right. Like you would like it's these things are like itinerant. They're hard to it's hard to staff up a campaign. It's hard to train people up. You don't have the time. Like you just had all these people for months yep. in Iowa organizing. Yep. You would you would want to like take them and put them in other states like and that so, would make sense so here's if you were trying to get elected yeah, president exactly if you were really if you really had that intention and so here's the thing that was really sus about the layoffs as well is that um so one thing that was part of our cba was that if you worked on the campaign for six months or longer then you got a uh like a i think it's a one month severance um, which yeah, for campaign work, like that's pretty unheard of. Um, by the way, we have eight weeks on, on my new contracts Hell for yeah. IUPAT. Um, but, and yeah, it's eight weeks for if you were eight weeks for if you work, um, eight weeks or more, if that makes sense. And then if it's under eight weeks, you get, uh, I think four weeks, something like that anyways. But for on Bernie campaign, it was, if you work six months, you get a month. Okay. Um, Almost anyone who is about to reach six months, like I'm I'm not talking one person. I'm talking like at least a dozen people who were at five months and a couple weeks. They got laid off. So they had seniority, but also they got laid off before they were going to get paid out. Every single campus and constituency organizer was laid off, which like that to me like that literally makes me want to cry. It's so disgusting that that they laid off every constituency organizer specifically. These are the people that won the Spanish speaking caucuses for us at 90%. Yeah. And they literally got told fuck you. Because we don't need you anymore. Yeah, I mean, and student- pinching pennies like looking at it from this like strictly like um like managerial like ledger perspective of like mm-hmm. oh quick if we're going to lay some people off, like let's get rid of the people get rid who, of the uh, whole team. Yeah. who who we might have to pay severance to. 
Like that doesn't like. Are you even trying to win this for a month? A right. month severance at fifteen dollars well, an hour. Again, they didn't have to lay them off. Again, they could have redeploy these people. No, that's you know, but like, like eventually, oof, oof, eventually, but, but a benefit is about to be earned right, by these people. Exactly. So better to just lay them off and yep. and worry about winning yeah. the campaign later. Yeah, I guess. Yep. So yeah, we'll get in some fresh people who haven't earned the benefits and who uh, haven't been embittered and are organizing. So we knew of several situations where people who were on the campaign for almost six months who, you know, had done extremely good work were laid off, but they kept interns who had been on the campaign for two to four weeks and promoted them. Um, So that sucked. And the other thing that happened, too, is, again, when you're talking about two-thirds of staff that's laid off, it's very hard to say, oh, these people were laid off because of this reason, because they can kind of just paint, like, or have, like, a, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, they can kind of just say for everybody, like, well, it was just, like, big layoffs. It wasn't, like, discriminant. Um, Almost every single shop steward was laid off in Iowa. And every single person who was part of the organizing in July was laid off. Um, and that fucking sucks. And the other thing to say about that too, is like in July, there was an NLRB, um, uh, complaint against the Iowa campaign that said that two staffers were fired because of bargaining stuff. Yeah. Um, so, so (laughs) it seems pretty clear. I mean, what the picture you're painting that again, it's hard to have like concrete evidence of. But it seems like uh, Iowa had all these people in Iowa had been around long enough to uh, start organizing, even on a wildcat basis. And the campaign very possibly said, we just need to clean house of this because they're going to we can't let this contagion like spread out to all these other states. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll worry about actually winning uh, this campaign. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or, or somehow they believed that that was gonna jeopardize the campaign that less than just getting rid of all your experienced people right. who believed in it enough to like fight for it yeah um and so it, yeah basically what happened um is in new hampshire in nevada and california those were the only remaining states where we were staffed appropriately and those are really the only states that we did well in yeah. I mean there's other you know there's a couple that we did well in as well but like those are the ones that we really did well in um, but in all the other states the campaign really um, yeah they shifted from relying on staff to relying on a volunteer uh, victory captain model which yeah. was basically these victory captains um, they were tasked with like 10 hour like 10 hours a week or something and it was like they needed to do one phone bank one training and one door knocking a week or something like that but of course what happens with volunteers is you're going to get either one of two things is either they just like don't do it um, or two is like there's a lot of volunteers who instead of doing just 10 hours a week they were doing like 25 hours a week and like they were having to buy yard signs themselves instead of like you know a campaign providing campaign materials and literature to them um and like so there was basically just this like messy organization of volunteers like kind of getting by but there wasn't staff to guide them and like you can't be successful in a distributed type of um method unless like you have staff to guide the distributed organizing so this is something that was discussed a little bit um, 
after the campaign. So Ben Mora and then my friend Mia and another friend Simon who worked on the campaign, um, they did a write up with Jacobin um, and they really talked about like the strategic failures of the campaign. Yeah. Like, um, but they didn't talk about the union end just because like Jacobin felt like that was a little too like in the weeds, if that makes sense. But mm-hmm. I do like, if you get a chance, like definitely read it. I think it gives a lot of context and like, it's we'll linked to it. Yeah. Cool. Um, but so one thing, that they wrote is um, so distributed organizing vests the responsibilities of a field organizer, which include volunteer recruitment, development, training, voter contact, and most of all time entirely on the volunteer supported by remote resources for a distributed dependent program to work. The campaign would have uh, would have needed to put staff in states months before the election to help build a grassroots volunteer led structure. Instead, field staff were thrown in just weeks before the election into states with no prior organization and completely disjointed volunteer efforts. Um, so yeah, like what that article doesn't talk about is like, why was that strategic choice made? Which like what we were saying is like, it wasn't just like, oh, we just want to like rely on volunteers. It was like, we don't want to deal with the union and labor anymore. Yeah. Their reaction to organizing, having to deal with labor that felt empowered to organize amongst themselves in, in the union or on a wildcat basis was so repellent to them that they uh, tanked the whole campaign based on that, it sounds like. So, like, let's let's get a little more personal. Like, what happened with you? You were a field organizer in Iowa for nigh on six months, uh, very experienced. You came into the job experienced uh, uh, with campaign experience. You are from Washington and had a lot of connections here, a lot of history and experience on your resume organizing here, doing campaign mm-hmm. work here. Very good relationship with yeah. the literal uh, uh, head of head the Washington of, yeah. campaign, mm-hmm. uh, Sean. Sean literally wrote letters on behalf of Melissa, Scott, and I and said, like, I need them on my team. So that's and what I'm asking. You got laid off. <laughs> I got laid off, and then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The natural assumption here is that you should have been brought back as I think as yeah. you asked on your in yeah. your entry interview to be to course, work in yeah. Washington, and yet what happened? And yet so I was Sean is on yeah. your side. He's going about trying to Sean's hire you. Sean's on my side, side going to bat. Um, you know, in my redeployment uh, survey, like I said, you know, I said specifically like would love to work in Washington State. I have deep connections there. Blah blah blah. Instead, what happened is, you know, the people that they kept on staff and redeployed, not to be shitty, but they were the people that were generally scabs and they were the people that would toe the line. And they so would did do they send people to Washington State from I- who were worked in Iowa or other states? I had someone on my team who's from New Jersey and he was redeployed to Seattle and I wasn't. And I had more winning caucus locations than he did. <laughs> So, yep. so the Washington campaign was forced to hire people based so here's the thing. by the national. Sean didn't get to pick who he hired. Yeah. They just sent people. Yeah. Um and And not many people. No. So every state what was the whole like Washington State. So every I'm not talking just Washington State, because the the argument could be that they thought they were gonna have Washington State in the bag. Um, which like is a dumb argument, but let's just well, for, for argument's it, purpose, let's say it that it makes more sense than a lot of the stuff we've said. Like right. for yeah. other states, yeah. like Washington State, because it's so far down the line. That too, like yeah. mm-hmm. 
uh, it's after Super Tuesday. Mm -hmm. You can at least make an argument like concentrate on the states leading up to Super Tuesday and then the big Super Tuesday states. Like, but to get to Super Tuesday, you have to, you know, you have to win some of those. Let's talk about Texas. Let's talk about Michigan. Let's talk about, um, you know, Massachusetts. Every single state besides the big ones that I talked about, Nevada, New Hampshire and California, there was not more than 10 staffers, and I'm talking not field organizers, staffers. There was no more total. than 10 staffers total in each and state. These are states that are on or before Super Tuesday. On or before Super Tuesday, or yeah. some of them, uh, yeah, either on before Super Tuesday and then also the ones right after Super Tuesday yeah. as well. Um, so like Washington State and stuff like that. No, the, no state had more than 10 workers, including interns, field organizers, bosses. So do we have a sense, and maybe this is covered in that Jacobin article, it's mm-hmm. been you mm-hmm. know like almost a year since mm-hmm. I read that. Do we have a sense of where the money went? Like, did the Bernie campaign end with cash? I imagine it did, like, a ton, right? A um, ton of cash, like, yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, what did they spend all these small-dollar donations on, if not staffing up? The thing that worked in uh, Iowa and fucking Nevada. Yeah, I mean, um, basically, their argument was they wanted to spend it on ads. So... I mean, that's a, that's like <laughs> that's organizing, this is like baby. The, this is like I mean, that's just it sounds it's trite to say, but like that's the basic like um, like dem consultant yeah. brain thinking okay, that we know so. doesn't like we know doesn't work. <laughs> we know is a scam. We know is literally how like the sort of DC con, uh, campaign consultant class just mm-hmm. like uh, grifts money out of donors to just like make. Con, uh, these campaign consulting companies rich and like float the fucking TV industry with ads like like we know that's stupid yeah so I'm gonna drop some truth bombs on y'all do you know who Chuck Rocha is no so if you don't it's fine a lot of people know who he is and like absolutely stand him because they think he's like oh he's a Bernie guy like he's on the campaign blah 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 fuck Chuck Rocha so first off, Chuck like frequently will still tell people that the reason we won Iowa is because of his mailers, which I'm just like to shit on workers like that. Fuck I mean, you, mailer, mailers. His, his Spanish speaking mailers. Nobody That's why we won. That That's why we won. Um, but yeah, he was a huge advocate of because it was him, um, Faz and Jeff Weaver that we were dealing with generally as a union fighting with um, for pay for days off, things like that. And yeah, his whole thing was, yeah, like, why would we have workers when we could just have mailers and you can pay me and my consulting firm? So millions, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Disgusting. Disgusting. Uh, also, clearly ineffective. I mean, if anything, like, I mean. This is well-worn territory now. Like, the, what are the lessons of the Bernie campaign? But, I mean, from all the things, all the postmortems that I've read, yeah. I mean, a lot of lessons seem pretty clear. It's like I mean, you know, actual, like, on-the-ground organizing people, trying to move, trying to actually yeah. build a movement that's based on something that involves people, not just yeah. this, like, uh, traditional, like, uh, political consultant yeah. bullshit. It actually can work. It can it work. Can it can work. It always will, or, like, and it matters, like, what the actual campaign is what the message is but like no and look it took 200 plus field staffers for bernie to win by one percent in iowa in iowa uh, which is like ha- no one lives there yeah and is like has all the focus on it people yeah. are tuned they're in they're so in a excited way to do the thing yeah they, tons of people actually caucus compared so, to like you know 
you know, how it's just like, no shit, no shit that, you know, how can you ever expect that 200 staffers or like, you know, that's the, that was the, the salaried staff. Salaried thousands staff. of yeah. volunteers. Yeah, thousands. Thousands. Thousands in Iowa. But I mean, let's even look at Nevada, for example. I mean, and again, you know, I cannot claim to say that if massive we, blowout win. Massive blowout win. Historic fucking and time. God, I, I wish I'd gone to I Nevada know, me just too. for the fucking me too. Party, I can't claim to say that we would have won if we would have fully staffed because we all know that we got fucked by the center consolidating behind Joe Biden. But there was there was look, the whole theory of well, can Bernie pull this off had was like a sort of momentum build the movement and have the primary momentum and when you when you don't perform in some states you know that that there went the momentum right. and they were like no we're going to do this yeah, momentum yeah. strategy but will that involves somehow skipping like skipping yeah. out some states right. it's like well that doesn't make sense you have to if you're going to be the underdog who overcomes all the hurdles that the system is going to throw in front of you you can't ever show that moment of weakness that allowed because all it took all it really took was one candidate who wasn't who was a real viable candidate like poop Buttigieg. yeah garbage was never gonna happen no one ever (laughs) you know that was never a thing but once joe biden had one once he was allowed to have one win that it was, was it. it. Was that done. was enough yeah. for the uh, sort of Obama knots and the rest of the Dem yeah. establishment to like start making the phone calls and telling people to fuck off out of the race. So, but so, and that's a good point. But back, what I was gonna say, like my point is, I think Nevada proves um, that if you have dedicated staff, adequate staff, and organizing on the ground months ahead of time, you can overcome. The fucking establishment, which is what we did against the strip workers union. You know, I mean, do you remember how big of a deal that was oh, yeah, that they huge. said, you know, they said, do not vote for Bernie Sanders because he is going to take your Nevada, union health care away. Tons of fucking people. Yeah, they campaigned uh, against Bernie and the, the rank and file were organized to turn out uh, in droves and fucking. And do you know why? Because people were working on the strip day and night talking to those workers do yeah. you think that we would have won because of tv Fucking ads TV and mailers ads? No. I, I, are you joking that that shit gets lost are you joking and so and it's always going to benefit well, if if there is no organizing if politics is done completely on this fucking bullshit of mailers and fucking uh, ads. Most of that, no one actually reads or pays attention to that no. stuff. It's just the noise around you, which means if it was reduced to just that, it's always going to benefit the fucking establishment. Obviously, but yeah, so. like I think that that is a case study to show that perhaps if the campaign would have taken the choice of adequately staffing all of the states that we needed, not just Iowa and Nevada and blah, 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 but like all of the states. Everything up to Super everything, Tuesday, certainly. Even if the consolidation would have happened, that on the ground organizing, those conversations, that community building, specifically, I'm telling you that those constituency organizing teams, because when we're talking constituency, we're also talking like unions. Yeah. We're talking, you know, like these are the people that like they were specialists in their fucking communities or in, you know, with the people that they were working with and they knew what the fuck they were doing and they yeah. got rid of all of those people. Um, and if we would have 
relied more heavily on that and we would have like done what Bernie Sanders always says, which is like build a fucking working class movement. Yeah. Would we have won? Would we have not won? I don't know. But like, you can't tell me that there, it's just, I, I'm told all the time by people when I tell people my story, well, Bernie was going to lose anyways because of what happened with Biden. And it's just, I don't think that's necessarily true. If we're looking large, big picture like that, yeah. of course, like, Honestly, I think it's you could still say probably yeah. Bernie was probably always going to get fucked somehow because whatever successes that the Bernie campaign had, just like any sort of uh, working class uh, effort, is going to be met with re resistance that you can't even predict or imagine right. because so that's because power exists out there invisibly that will be used if it has. So to be. that's but what we if we're looking yeah. at just what did happen. They yeah. lost the momentum. Yeah. They let Joe Biden get yeah. a fucking foothold. And that there was a path to victory yeah. for Bernie. We don't know. Well, and my question happened. is, it's just like we we knew we were going to get fucked by by the establishment at some point. Right. Obviously. So why wouldn't we go all out? Why would we yeah. have a campaign that's winding down? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Um. So, yeah, like South Carolina, Super Tuesday states besides California. Um we lost, but like specifically like Texas lost by 5%, Maine lost by 1%, Massachusetts lost by 5%. Like those are areas that like we could have, like that's a field margin. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, um, so after super Tuesday, um, over a hundred campaigns of, of the field staffers came together. And this is like, you know, one of many letters that we sent, but this is, I think this is kind of one how I want to end things is like, this is one of the letters we sent on March 4th, 5th, whatever the day after Super Tuesday was. Um, so, dear management, we, the field staff of this campaign, are concerned with the results of su from Super Tuesday and the campaign strategy going forward. We believe the campaign needs to make rapid adjustments to retain a shot at fulfilling our historic mission as a movement. We all know that what we were up against and that the only way we have a chance of winning is if we out-organize the establishment. Right now, in March 10th and March 17th states uh, that have many millions of people, we only have a hand full of field staff per state, leaving us with insufficient capacity to organize on the scale necessary to win. We all know that we have an enthusiastic and passionate base of people who want to represent parts of this country, most of whom are volunteering for a campaign for the first time because of our, me our message speaks to them. Um, we will win by activating and supporting these people and doing so at a scale that allows us to talk to an unprecedented number of voters. The campaign is fortunate to have had significant fundraising and now is the make or break time for this campaign. We're concerned that we are not on track, making an unforced error uh, by in investing too little in field. Um, having collectively experienced how organizing looks on the ground in over 20 states we have been in and realizing that we are not on the trajectory to win, we request to management to redeploy all Super Tuesday state field staff um, that are eligible and willing to states that have not yet voted, rehire and redeploy all early state field staff, um, and then prioritize investing in field, including campus and constituency organizing as much as possible, um, and conduct a call with unit representatives to hear feedback how field is actually going and address these concerns. Mm -hmm. uh, we feel the grassroots energy uh, that's out there, and we believe so much in the mission, and we want to be as effective as possible, and we believe we can win. But it will take organizing at unprecedented levels to do so. And what we're doing right now is not going to fulfill this mission in solidarity. And then, yeah, signed by, like, 150 campaign staffers. And they didn't do it, and we continued to lose. And within a couple of weeks, Bernie dropped out. So Yeah. 
well, sad stuff. Uh, that's the story we all know. Um, Cassidy, thank you for finally uh, blessing the listeners of this podcast mm-hmm. with uh, your stories of organizing on the Bernie campaign in Iowa. Um, it sucks. Yeah, it's the <laughs> fucked up reality of ev- yeah. of every part of the system we live in. And I mean, yeah. you just you just experienced a really like sort of a uh, really key piece of it. Yeah. No. What what. It's some some these are lessons to think about for not just not just for like electoral campaigns going for, but just like what um, what any movement, how any movements uh, are going to be run. Yeah. Like actually do anything good. Like, again, like we all did this thinking we were building a movement. But in reality, it was all just business decisions and bullshit like everything else, you know. Um, Yeah. So, So hey, you know. Uh, um, you could say that probably means it was doomed to fail anyway. On the other hand, <laughs> uh, if you were looking for a reason, you know, if you still were confused and were looking for a reason that Bernie lost, I think we can, we can, it's pretty clear we can blame Cassidy at this yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. So, it's my fault. Uh, um, but <laughs> so. I mean, look, like, I hate that I had to go through this, but like, look at me now. But I'm now a union president. You're a, like, a union local president. You're organizing campaign workers. Um, yeah. And uh, I got an email from my UFCW rep um, after the campaign. And yeah, so this was in February last year. She, she said, Cassidy, I appreciate everything you've done for Bernie 2020 and you bargaining and your bargaining unit members. This has been a learning experience. And while there's a lot of improvements to be made, I know future campaign workers are going to have better standards because of the work we did here. Ugh. And like, yeah, hey, it's, it's just wild. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So thanks for the therapy sesh. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. Thanks for hanging out on the boat with me. Yeah. Okay, everybody. This wow, has been your uh, Patreon episode of Mechanical Freak. Sorry thanks it was long. Listening. I don't care. And uh, see you around. <laughs>